The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach. Elijah Herbal, hope you're doing all right. Uh, hilarity ensuing at an SEC baseball game. We will tell you about that. Sadness in Illinois if you're a Nebraska baseball fan. And a big recruiting weekend continues for Nebraska. It is, uh, it is graduation weekend as well. So Memorial Stadium will once again be packed today. Hope everyone's all right. Numbers to get in, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. We will rewind with Ron Brown, his thoughts on uh, Day by Day, NIL, and uh, the late, great Al Papik uh, in Hour 2. Brandon Vogel with us, and uh, we'll spend time with the Iron Horse Gary Sharp. Mr. Cradak, it's been 100 years, brother. How are you? It has been a bit, man. It's good to talk to you again, and I'm glad that we, uh, you know, for the listener, do the listeners know that you are leaving the continent pretty soon? We In, uh, in a few uh, months. I think Elijah and I, once I got it booked on, on uh, last Friday, our, our dear friend uh, Paul Glenn, Steve Glenn, Executive Travel, uh, yeah, that's we we got that knocked out last Friday afternoon, and I think Friday show I was like, "Hey man, my I'm I'm working on packing my bags." We may have touched on it a little bit last weekend, but not a ton. But no, I mean I'm 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 excited about it. Now it's going to be a a, a a a trek to to get there. I mean, you're taking me to Amsterdam is is pretty much what. <laughs> we're going to I mean, to I'm Dublin, not, yes, the, but we're going to I or we're going to Dublin, yes, but we're going to Amsterdam first. <laughs> just to connect and lay over. No, I know. There's not enough time. There's not enough time for you to, to get into trouble. You know. Yeah, do everything you've always wanted to do in your life. Like that's, there's not enough time for that. Uh, uh, there's no time to use know, the the safe word fumble ruski. Okay. Yeah. No. No, no time for that. But Chris, I, I just want to, you know, you're leaving the continent for the first time. There's, you know, Putin is invading Europe all over the place. How are you feeling about it? How are, are you? Is everything going to you know, be okay? I'm good. I'm, I'm not really worried. My, my main concern is if this thing uh, moves to, let's just say, Las Vegas, let's just throw a dart. Uh, I just want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> it's all... a little bit of cash involved isn't there yeah that's all right that's all right maybe the uh 
the uh, the the Preakness will will hit for me, unlike the Kentucky Derby, uh, the eighty to one. But no, I'm I'm pretty jacked about it. I think uh, one of our shows was titled International Flavor, just because we spent time on it. And no, I'm I'm excited, man, for. The trip abroad, you're a world traveler, man. You've been to Asia, you've been to Australia, you've been to India. I mean, you've been you've been everywhere. Not that I'm advocating Nebraska does this week zero thing in foreign nations very often. Uh, I was a little yeah. too young to, uh, to tug on dad's leg and say, let's go to Tokyo for the Coca-Cola Bowl. But I've heard legendary stories about that, so... It should be good. And Elijah, we, we have to talk Chris into a little inside baseball. Chris, Chris is still trying to figure out. He's like, all right, how am I going to do both of my shows every day while I'm in Ireland? And Chris, we're going to we're going to have to back you off of that. I, if I have to talk to management, I'll, I'll do that. Um, Elijah, we could use your encouragement here. I mean, we're going to be all the way in Ireland. I, I don't know. I don't know if you got to be sitting in a hotel or an Airbnb doing your both your shows all the time. I mean, we've got to, I'm putting public pressure on you now. We, we, we have Guinness to drink. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Well, there's going to be that. And then there's like mountains and there's cliffs and well, yeah, there's, yeah, Mark, I'm trying to think about the time change here. Cause I think it's, it's six hours, six, six hours, hours, which means six hours plus. So the, that the, means the morning, morning show is noon, which is easy for him. And yeah. And his evening show or his, you know, this show during the week is 10 PM. And so if he's if he's rocking twelve to three and then ten to midnight, that's you know kind can't of, even do kind, anything. Yeah, it kind of ruins some plans there. Yeah, we'll we'll get that. Yeah, out. yeah. Can what, we what, get that what, squared away. Whether, whether we little... get some some partial pre-recording going for some Hale Varsity shows or whether we it's just me in here, maybe Willie J. We can come fill in. No, we we can't have Schmitty doing Hale Varsity radio at midnight. That's yeah. No, it, guys, it was pitched to go do Nebraska <laughs> coverage. <laughs> Uh, I, I got to work if I go. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, what I'm saying is there's a happy medium. Okay. okay. There's, there's a happy medium. So, yes. Let's let's check like, in and, like and just, hear this report on assignment, right? One of those yeah, things. Not, okay. That would I'm work. not saying just go there and it's just, you know, Guinness and Tillamore whiskey or whatever. It's, it's, or not, Tillamore. it's not Notre Dame, Nebraska, circa 2000. Because no. that's how I sold it to my folks, Cranac, was, hey, you know, we're, we're seniors in broadcasting now. Cranac's going to South Bend. Can I go? Can you fund me? Uh, there's a ch- I, I didn't lie. I just said there's a chance we may be able to do the, the, the college radio broadcast of it, which there was until we were told no. Um, right. <laughs> right. It didn't quite work out. But that's okay because the El, the Camp KOA in Elkhart, Indiana, had some fine patrons that week. Um, yeah, it, it was fine, and we saw the best game ever, and we had the best time ever afterwards at Linebackers Bar, and uh, making that uh, phone call to mom and dad after the overtime win by Nebraska and Crouch was awesome. They both wished they were there with us. So, how do you suppose you did that phone call back then? That would have been using a calling card, probably. No, it was. I think it was probably a cell. We had cells, uh, didn't we? Had cells. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Were you from the future at that point? I don't know. No, there were there were cell phones. Either yeah, that or it was a payphone or something. I don't know. But they were Dude, like that a was a long, long, long night afterwards. 
It was a great yeah. time. Yeah. Well, we got to figure that out, though, Chris. I'm just saying. Yes, I totally understand. You got to work some of it. Some of it. That's the thing. Not all of it. <laughs> you know, you got to take. You got to take. You gotta, you're going to be in Ireland, right? Like, you got to go see the sheep and the. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. There's there's some sort of joke in there. Um, you got to help them over the fence. Right, yes, because, yeah, time <laughs> zone, yes. Uh, Mark Cranach, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, welcome to Saturday morning. <laughs> we will get to sports, but I, I love your enthusiasm, Cranach, about what I need to do in Ireland. You're uh, you're the Nebraska tour guide, baby. You uh, you know where to hit, all all the spots to be, and... Should be all right. So let's switch gears. Speaking of tours mm-hmm. and big weekend for Nebraska. And are you feeling as good, Cranach, about Stefan Wynn, the Alabama defensive tackle? He's here this weekend. Kane Williams here this weekend. And you add both of those guys, or you add Wynn at least. I mean that's that's pretty nice to Drew and Oshan if you're if you're Nebraska's defensive line. It, it is a total makeover from your line even three weeks ago, and you could make an argument that maybe it could be a, a better line uh, based on pedigree and and who could be part of the rotation along with Ty Robinson. And and I just wonder where where things are at with, with Wynn. Yes, he's in Lincoln. Georgia Tech's in the picture. And immediately, I think yesterday, Taylor Lewis, really uh, talented JUCO defensive tackle, gets offered. So is Nebraska in the market for two more defensive tackles because there's a grad transfer looming? Or Georgia Tech is the leader, despite Win being in Lincoln this weekend. Stefan oh, Win would be a big one. You know, I <laughs> yeah. can't necessarily vouch for his performance right now. It's tough to know, just because you know you're at Alabama and you're playing against you know you're playing with first rounders left and right, right? You're, you're playing so behind that, first rounders. Yeah, yeah. Good luck cracking that rotation. But the thing is, is that he has like he has played just about every year, 2019, mm-hmm. 2020, 2021. He saw time in seven games last year um, and he makes tackles when he does play. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, he's six, four, three, oh, seven. He's a seasoned guy. He's a senior. So two years you know, to play. Yeah. But, you know, he's he's play, he's he's been on Alabama's roster for four years. Right. Mm-hmm. So like. This is a seasoned guy that would come in ready to roll. And you have to see the opportunity, right? Like, so if you're Stefan Wynn, like, think about it. If you're now, maybe there's location uh, situations to where Georgia Tech has the advantage because he wants to be closer to home, stay in the South. That's, you know, you maybe can't beat that. But in terms of NIL opportunities, they are going to be greater here. No question. In terms of competition that you're playing week in and week out, Big Ten versus ACC, pretty obvious Big Ten is, is better if you just look at the draft. If you're looking at playing time, I don't know the ins and outs of Georgia Tech's roster, but I know Nebraska's got gaping holes in the mm-hmm. interior. 
it's great that you got O'Shawn Mathis, but you're still only coming back with Ty Robinson with any kind of meaningful snaps and experience in the middle. That's it. And then you're hoping that Nash Huttmacher is is has got the chops and and he's ready to play multiple downs. You hope Mosai Newsom or any of those other guys, um, you know, the Texas Tech transfer. You hope mm-hmm. he can come in, but he's a little bit of a more slender build. He's not a you know he's not a huge run stuffer body type for the Big Ten, so I think he'll be more of a situational guy. So you, there are plenty of snaps to go round if you're Stephon Wynn, and it's almost a certainty that if he joins, if he's healthy, and if it's a guy that was able to crack into the rotation, at least occasionally at the nation's premier program, he can hold down a spot, and he can get snaps, and he can get looks for the NFL, which he could not get there. So, I mean, lots in Nebraska. He's got a beautiful weekend this weekend. That's when he's visiting. Uh, There's, you know, you would hope all those factors settle in with him. And he understands the opportunity he has here, which, I mean, really, man, if you're you're just stacking them up left to right and doing some sort of T-chart here on (laughs) who gets the check marks in Nebraska versus Georgia Tech, Mm -hmm. outside of location – it's it's pretty obvious where his best opportunity is. Well, Nebraska not taking anything for granted yet. Uh, Chins put out that offer to Taylor Lewis, 6'3", 295. Also has an offer from Oregon State and the College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita, California. And uh, 19 tackles, three TFLs, two sacks. If you batted down passes, was a pretty good presence on a, uh, a, a good JUCO squad last year. So Nebraska, uh, think about about Lewis and good write-up by Greg Smith. It's one of his, this is quotes to Greg, one of his dream schools is Nebraska. So that's a win. I think May 20th is kind of the target date for for Lewis, but he's got a visit scheduled to Oregon State that same day or weekend. So we'll see if the the Oregon State visit goes goodbye or or something gets worked out. Uh, we spent time yesterday, Cranack, with Lars Anderson, and Lars super plugged into the Alabama program, and Lars reached out to uh, to one of his guys he trusts recruiting wise, and the thing about Win and and Williams, both guys are are high level ball players. Clearly, you you got to kind of prove that in a workout to to Saban before he even offers you. But this is this is a case of guys just kind of caught in a log jam where they're they're talented enough. There's just been so much depth in front of them that yeah ends up playing on Sundays. That it's that that's that's been the issue. It's not a it's not a talent or a motivation thing, but um, we'll see if if things go through and well tonight for Nebraska. I know that there's supposed to be a slew of coaches and assistants on hand to make their impression. You know, tonight at a at a, at a dinner. Um, so I, I guess my my question is this, and I don't have. Any inside that that either kids hear yet? Is it a, a visit today or did they get in last night? That's what I'm wondering. 
Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price of $29.99. That means that you, for less than $20, can get everything we do. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. Mark Raynack, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Hale Varsity weekend. Oh, so, sorry, man. My, I, I got on mute there. Um, no, you're good. So, it look, if, if you compare it to, put it this way, would you take Damian Daniels or Ben Stilley back? Yes. Would you like to have them back on this year's defense? Absolutely. Do you think they're starting at Alabama? No. No, I do not. But you'd still take them, right? right? Because they're still good <laughs> ball players. They're Very not elite top players. end first round, but they're good ball players. Good size, know what to do, experience, have had good training. Mm-hmm. To me, that's him, right? Like okay. that's, that's that's a cop. replacement. He, now, even though he came in as a, a defensive end, his body type, he's six four three. I, his comp is probably Stilly. Right, okay. still he built himself into somewhat of a you know two ninety five three hundred pounder, mm-hmm. right? But but a little more kind of slender maybe isn't the right word, but a little more slim as it relates to one of those interior positions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you that's what you'd equate win to. He's just he's just a massive, just a big strong dude. But he's not like you know, I don't know. He's not like Gilbert walking around out there with you know, weighing 400 pounds or anything like that. So he's got some mobility, uh, got some experience. IMG started kid. Alabama. Yeah, IMG. Yeah, a lot of us couldn't start at Alabama. <laughs> All right. There's, there's, there's Elijah's, like... Elijah's back in studio saying, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like, you know, there's like eight people walking around on the planet that can start for Alabama, right? Quite frankly, you there's know. four on the defensive line. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, there you go. You know, there's, there's just not a lot of people that are that can do that. But he's like really close. He's like number ten. You know, <laughs> he's part of the rotation. He's, yeah, he's he's not been yeah. told to leave. He's been told yeah. to work harder, and your time will come. Great act. Hey, let's switch gears. I'm good. I'm good if Nebraska becomes Alabama's sloppy seconds location, right? That's <laughs> that's good. I'm good with that. I don't let's, want to become uh, Eastern Michigan's sloppy second location, no. but Alabama's that's cool. Let's hit baseball real quick, and it is officially panic mode for Nebraska baseball if they want to be in Omaha for the Big Ten tournament. It was set up. A down Big Ten, Omaha, before you go to a regional or maybe host a regional. And uh, you were in desperate need of a win last night, couldn't deliver. Nebraska got out a little bit early, but the Illini came to play. And uh, you had uh, had Illinois win that thing 8-3, out hit 14-6. And just uh, just a tough night for Nebraska baseball, uh, which is kind of the same song and dance uh, for for the Big Red. I know there's two more ball games. Nebraska now falling to tenth 
in the Big Ten standings, Northwestern, yeah, they have a baseball team, remains ahead of Nebraska in ninth, Purdue's in eighth. And that is going to just be garbage, man, if you've got the Big Ten tournament in Omaha and there's no Nebraska. But you got to got to earn it in. And right now they're probably needing to win out with some help, Mark. It's yeah, dude. It's it's been a really surprisingly bad season uh, for, for Nebraska. Look, they're they're last in the conference in batting average right now. <laughs> last in in a conference that's not noted for fantastic pitching at all, right? Not this year, dead dead last. Dead. They're hitting two forty four as a team. The pitching staff has put up decent numbers from an ERA perspective. Um, Nebraska's fielding is bottom of the pack. You know, that's, that's you're talking about a couple hallmarks of, you know, it, it's in a it's an aggressive style that that bolt preaches. Um, so you're going to get the high strikeouts, right? Like and they do strike out a lot, a little more than I'd like. But whatever, it worked for them last year. They, they struck out at nearly the same clip last year. They're a little bit above that this year, but pretty similar. Aggressive at the plate. You're going to get some strikeouts, but you're also going to get the, the benefits of some extra base hits and keeping runners moving and all that when you're not sitting there with the bat on your shoulder all the time. Although that part has been pretty concerning this year. I don't have the stats on it, but in terms of strikeouts looking, it feels like there's a ton more of those this year than there were last year. But then when you look at what's happened with the pitching staff, Jelkin and Martin both leaving the team for not entirely clear reasons, undisclosed reasons, Violation right. of team rules type deal. Yeah, so there is something going on, and it's total speculation. But, you know, you're dealing with 18 to 23-year-old kids. You know, there's there's uh, a lot of different pressures and influences and temptations that come with that at that age when you're in college. Who knows what the hell it is, but there's something culturally that seems pretty obvious, and it's probably with just a handful of guys um, that's just not right. And that's not meshing with the team. The, I mean, the fact that you're losing two, those are two contributing pitchers too. Those are good pitchers, right? In a year you're um, short on arms. Yeah, right. Where, where exactly, dude, where there are plenty of pitches to go round because, you know, you, you had a couple of injuries early. Uh, and so, you know, there were more innings to be had. And instead of seizing those and taking advantage of them, you got dudes getting booted off the team. Right. And like, you don't you don't boot people off the team unless there's something that I mean, obviously, you just can't live with as a program. Right. right. So there, there's something there's something going on there. There's something that's just kind of infected the team. Um, you know, they don't play with a lot of freedom. They don't play with a lot of joy. They don't play with. Right. Like there, there's just there's obviously something missing and something amiss. And it's probably something where you'll see it get addressed in the off season with a fairly significant roster overhaul. I, I would think, because uh, you got to get some different mentality. The, the mentalities aren't right across the board, and I feel like that's what you did have last year. Is you had men- the you knew men- the mentality was right. You knew Hallmark and Schwellenbach and Roscom and a lot of those guys. Uh, you know, you you knew that that part was on point. And that was part of the reason why they competed in Arkansas and had a chance to pull a stunner there is because they were they were locked in. Um, you don't get that sense with this year's team. And it's 
I, I'm not holding out for some sort of end of season miracle for them to make it to Omaha and then make some noise and go on some Cinderella run. Other news, you have Lincoln East Malachi Coleman uh, just tweeted out a few minutes ago he's going to make his official visit to Nebraska June 3rd for Friday Night Lights Camp. You've got a a slew of in-state prospects again this year on the gridiron that Nebraska's trying to to keep in-state you also have uh, an official that Malachi is going to take to uh, to Michigan. So Nebraska in a battle, and Malachi at 6'5", 180, finished second in-state track in the 100, won several other events. He's been a lot of fun to watch uh, at East, the senior to be. And uh, he's listed as an athlete with uh, the folks at Rivals and Seeing him play the last few years, Cranach, and seeing him a, a handful of times last year, he's so effortless uh, in the red zone or making a big play in East's passing attack. Uh, Noah Walters is a phenomenal quarterback as well. But you had Coleman do it on the offensive end repeatedly. But defensively, that's what's intriguing to me as far as the the Jabo body type, the the Michigan defensive, you know, the Michigan outside backer that that ended up going. He hurt his Achilles in in uh, the uh, NFL Combine, or at least the, the pro day at Michigan, I should say. But you know, where where does Malachi fit because of what you could project his frame carrying, and do you put on? wait for him and is he a beast that flies off the edge and gets to the quarterback or do you you put him at, at wide out you have Benji Nagoy as well that got an offer not long ago from Mickey Joseph so those are two Lincoln kids that are 6'4 and 6'5 that are just freak athletes that Nagoy also a corner but uh, it's set that's great news for Nebraska to get the official for Malachi keep your in-state in-state yeah, and Malachi, it's you ask that question: Do you keep him at receiver or do you move him to defensive end? You know, it. I, and they're not paying me to make these decisions, but receiver, he's sort of ready-made and yeah. less of a project. Defensive end, you got to put him in the lab for a couple years, right? Mm-hmm. Just in terms of putting on the right weight and being able to work with that weight. And to to your to your point about just being effortless. Kind of reminds you of like a Xavier Betts, right? Which sure. kind of wet everybody's appetite before he left, but similar, right? But taller. <laughs> you know, he, when he gets to top speed, he does it pretty quick for a long strider. Uh, very natural athlete. And he's got the receiver build ready to go right now, right? So so mm-hmm. do, do you, I don't know, waste his time isn't the right word, but like, can you really afford if you're Nebraska to take somebody like that and just go ahead and put him in the lab for two or three years and make him become a big 10 defensive end? Or do you say, no, no, he's a receiver right now. We don't have to do much with his mm-hmm. body type right now. Keep him at receivers. So I would guess that's where he would stay um, depending on where he goes. But I, I don't well, think Nebraska would have the luxury to sit a guy like that and hope he blossoms into a big 10 defensive end. Right. I'll say this. Nebraska has been pretty good at 
projecting guys on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, you know, Cam Taylor Britt was a was a quarterback that played great football as as the guy in the secondary. Uh, Nebraska also projected a tight end over to center in Cam Jurgens, two totally. examples. So we'll see where it goes, but just uh, good news for the Big Red. Uh, and uh, sounds like uh, things are, are going all right for Win. Uh, I got a text here a little bit ago. So uh, that that is good news for, for Nebraska as two Big Bama visitors. Cranack, I didn't get a chance to see it yet. I know you're anxious as well to check out the documentary Day by Day. Sounds fantastic. We've had a lot of fun talking about uh, the the, the buildup, the the rise, as this first part of the documentary is called. And, and I will say, if I, if I could jump in real quick, I yeah. talked to some people that were walking out of the Rococo last night as I was in downtown Lincoln, and they all had very positive reviews of the movie. Okay. Mm, so, yeah. Elijah, this is, other, this is also breaking news. Elijah Herbal was... Dare I say it in downtown Lincoln last night? Are you hurting this morning? I feel great. Never better. <laughs> and Elijah Herbal was like negative eight when, you know, the the, <laughs> the time of these documentaries was happening. This is so, also true. Yeah. yeah. No, I honestly, though, I think that that could be one of those breakthrough kind of things that if uh, folks in Elijah's generation take time to watch it, because I think it's going to be well done enough that it'll be interesting enough to do it. Oh, yeah. I, I think it'll I think it'll open a few eyes and maybe make it a little more I don't know obvious why the why the old timers are so demanding about things like being running physical and running the ball <laughs> right <laughs> I, I hope what comes through when you watch those things when you watch that documentary is just the uber physical nature of how they rolled in the mentality that they had well, right like, they, that's they what everybody's dismantled. Longing how they did it, and how often they did it. Quick timeout. We'll hit the rewind. Longtime coach, senior offensive analyst Ron Brown with us next. It's Hale Varsity Weekend. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Hello, listener. This is Brandon Vogel, managing editor of Hale Varsity, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price of $29.99. That means that you, for less than $20, get everything we produce. Ten issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Into Hour 2, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, day by day, uh, gets going tonight at the Rococo Theater, The Rise, part one of this documentary on Nebraska's dominance. We bring in a, a key, key part of it, longtime assistant with Nebraska and senior offensive analyst, we say out of Ron Brown. Coach, how we doing? Are you, you ready for some popcorn and some candy, maybe a soda for, for a movie tonight? Thanks for the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like that sounds like a good time, Smitty. Um, uh, and uh, I I miss those days. So yeah, that, that would be uh, that'd be fun. 
Well, uh, it, it is uh, an era that Nebraska fans are are so excited about and remember well the uh, the championship run and uh, day by day is uh, it's been a long time in the works pandemic and all and uh, it premieres tonight coach what what are you excited about when it comes to this story there's a couple of different themes with it and talking with the director Justin and also talking with Josh Davis about this project uh, really a passion project for him and they the 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 journey to to win a championship, you were a part of that journey, and then also uh, to maintain that that bar, to maintain that standard, and it's covered in both instances with this uh, day by day movie. You know, Smitty, um, when I came to Nebraska, uh, Coach Osborne hired me in 1987 to come coach the wide receivers, tight ends, and wingbacks. Um, you know, I, I knew I was a part of something special um, where I had grown up on the East Coast. All, Nebraska was kind of bigger than life when it came to football and was a top five team at the time. I came from out of the Ivy League. I was the youngest coach in the Ivy League uh, at, at my school, Brown University. Um, a very new coach, didn't really know a whole lot of anything, was a defensive coach. Coach Osborne hired me as an offensive coach here. So I everything kind of felt like over my head to a degree. Mm-hmm. I was in a big time football state. But you know, what was what was interesting about it, Schmidt, is that we lost seven straight bowl games. I thought it was my fault. <laughs> uh, seven straight bowl games. Nebraska loses. And but but when you look at it, Schmidt, we were playing against rigorous competition in those bowl games. And um, it just brought out a lot of things. It exposed who we were. Yeah, we were a top-five team that began to decline slowly. By 1990, after seven straight bowl losses, uh, well, in the middle of that seven straight bowl loss deal, in 1990, um, Coach Osborne told us, hey, if you guys can get new jobs, you better get them because they, they look like they want to fire us. Everybody stuck with it. We dug down deep. And the rest was history. But there was a process. It didn't just happen overnight. God's blessing, yes, uh, was upon our program in in many ways, not just because we were winning, but there was a resilience about that staff, about that team, certainly Coach Osborne, that was um, uh, really very unusual, unparalleled in many ways. So I was a part of the the decline and that rise, which – kind of resurged again starting in 1991. Ron Brown's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, why why was there a decline? And, and growing up, I watched those teams. You lived those teams. And the teams that Nebraska was losing to were teams that would end up winning the national championship, be it Washington or Florida, or I should say a Miami, and, and then Florida State or an Oklahoma, right? I mean, or, or Colorado. I mean, why the decline yeah. – and then how did you reconfigure? How, how did you start the rise part? What, what did you guys do different? I think, you know, and, and maybe each assistant coach, you know, we were all there a, a lot of years, mm-hmm. maybe have a, may have a different view on it. Here's my view. My view coming out of the, out of the, uh, from 1987 through 1989, 
We were a, a top five team that was pretty good. That was pretty strong during the course of the regular season. Uh, we even knocked off uh, a UCLA, for example, in 1987, a Troy Aikman-led team. But then 1988, they come back and beat us. You know, we're just not a dominant team. We're a really good team. And then um, Colorado begins to rise. And uh, in, in 1990, we really struggle. We, we, uh, we lose, um, I believe it was uh, four games that year, three, maybe three games. It was the first time that we um, were just about – we were clearly out of the top ten, and we ended up losing to Georgia Tech in the Citrus Bowl. We ended up 24th in the nation, and that's when Coach Osborne sat us down in a meeting as, as that season ended, and he said, if you guys can get new jobs, mm-hmm. you better go because we're probably gone. Well, nobody left, Schmitty, and Coach Osborne dug his heels deep into the earth – uh, that's when we started to formulate the the uh, Unity Council. And what I really noticed the most, Schmitty, was there was a humility. There wasn't a, a, a pointing of the finger. There was a pointing of the thumb. The thumb meaning that we had to look deep within ourselves. Our recruiting had gone downhill. Our, our, our evaluation of talent, uh, we were taking shortcuts. And Coach Osborne began to say, look, we have we have uh, friction between our strength staff and our training staff. We're not all on the same page here, there, the other. Our recruiting has gotten a little sloppy. Um, he said, this has all got to end. And without firing anybody and, and um, having a huge turnover and without anybody else leaving, um, we, we began to make in-house changes within our program that needed to take place. Um, talking about the the um, camaraderie between strength staff and training staff where they have to be on the same page our recruiting uh, got got had had to be addressed all those things and slowly but surely Schmitty, we started to move in a different direction. Ron Brown's with us day by day documentary debuts tonight at the Rococo theater the rise. Coach Brown, what input did you have when it comes to reconfiguring the recruiting, the evaluation part? What what did you want to do? What what did you do when it came to going and get get uh, get players? Well, I think our problem, Schmitty, was we had we had veteran coaches who had had a lot of success in that area, but. Um, you know, we were always a national recruiting uh, program. But Coach Osborne was, was always most concerned with the greater 500-mile radius. Mm-hmm. And we, we couldn't lose players out of there. Well, we were kind of floating around the country going here and there. And the, we really, the geographic area coach, we all had a different geographic area. Each one of those coaches began, had a lot of say in who we recruited and to, to, to our demise. Because, you know, it's a very natural thing, Schmitty, for each assistant coach to want to, and and this is true about human nature, to have the most recruits, uh, you know, on the the staff. It's a friendly competition. Who's going to really do a good job recruiting? So a lot of times, sometimes you might want to take a guy out of your geographic area that may not be the very best player Mm. for another position that you don't coach. And so Coach Osborne recognized that, look, we're, we've got to tighten the ship up here. 
And so he created what I call a four-tier system where he said, look, not only are we going to have the geographic coach covering an area, but we're also going to put a pos- the position coach. If there's a, for example, if there's a coach Brown, if there's a offensive lineman in your area, I want Milt Teneper to have some say in that, who was our offensive line mm-hmm. coach at the time. I want him to have some say in that as well. He also, um, uh, brought in Dave Gillespie, who was our recruiting coordinator, and said, I want Dave to weigh in very heavily here. And then he put himself in the equation and said, and I'm going to get the final set. That was not normally Coach Osborne's demeanor. His demeanor was more, hey, I'm going to trust you guys. I'll let you guys go at it. Everybody knows how to work hard. But he realized at this point we needed not just greater effort, but we needed smarter effort. We needed more eyes on each prospect. And so um, <laughs> that's what took place. Wow. And it really, really turned the corner. And starting in 1991, we were, I think we just had a much greater edge in the recruiting. Not, not that we recruited everybody that Notre Dame recruited. Mm-hmm. We had our own system. And look, we didn't have to copy anybody else. What worked for us? What type of kids do we need? We want to obviously continue to get the very best walk-on candidates that we could get. The 500-mile radius was really re-emphasized, and if we're going to go on a kid outside of the 500-mile radius, he he better be awfully good. And if we make a mistake, if we make a mistake, if we bring in a kid and we realize, oh, boy, he's not as good as we thought he was, Coach Osborne's comment was, well, (laughs) We better we better correct the mistake. We gotta we better make sure that it's not a mistake mm-hmm. by developing him and getting the most out of his talent. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you that I think worked fantastically. I think that was what needed to take place in the recruiting, and it did. Ron Brown's with us, uh, Hale Varsity Radio, longtime Nebraska assistant, day by day. A uh, little look see into the, the the different type of player Nebraska went after in the four different tiers that uh, was part of the process. Coach, uh, while I have you on here, uh, a quick reaction to the new world of college football. We've been talking recruiting and how you guys shifted, changed. What is your take on Portal and NIL from a specific standpoint of, it feels like Nebraska's done a great job of adapting to this new normal. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, Shemetti. You know, I'm, I'm always a believer that you, you don't really – truly get a true indication on your recruiting until until the player's career is over yeah so so you look back and you say well who who are the best recruiters well go back and look and see what players came here and really played extremely well who who was consistently showing up as the guys that were recruiting them those are the best recruiters or the best recruits go back and look at their careers there's a variety of ways. There's a lot of ways to peel the potato, but you got to make sure the knife is sharp. And part of the knife being sharp, Schmitty, is looking under the hood. And looking under the hood means you don't just look at the pretty car sitting in the driveway. You want to turn the you want to turn that car on and see if the car is going to go anywhere. Does it have a great engine? Is it going to go fast? Is it going to be durable? And 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 all of that will require looking under the hood, not just looking at it. You have to get it out there and get it test run. And that is what recruiting needs to be. Transfer portal, it makes it harder to do that. 
It's more difficult to really uh, test a guy, but you can at least get a feel for a transfer portal guy who's been playing much somewhere else. You can kind of get a feel like if we're taking a kid who comes from the West Coast, let's say he's a transfer portal, we can watch his college games and at least get an indication about how that guy uh, can work. Mm -hmm. There's usually a reason why people are transferring, so we want to make sure for right reasons and for good motives we're getting the right guy who has right motives because not all the transfers turn out well. Uh, NIL, um, (laughs) boy, that's that's a whole different – different deal to me and it, it, it seems like amateurism has um, moved on from college sports um, so that that world is uh, is a whole nother world I hope it's controllable mm-hmm. um, but you know I, I it is part of the deal that we have we have to try to make the wisest use that we possibly can without breaking rules and um, Hopefully we do it the right way, and and college football does it the right way. But I feel bad for the sport in some ways because of that. I feel bad for the kids because this has now become very professionalized, and it's it's gotten competitive outside of the boundaries that normal really good amateur competition breeds. So we'll see. That's a wait and see for me. Ron Brown's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, of course, uh, at Nebraska. Senior offensive analyst, Coach Frost, before that, uh, a lot of years as an assistant in Lincoln. Coach, a uh, quick thought here. Uh, one of a, a true gentleman passing away, a quick reflection on Al Papik while I have you. Uh, yeah, Al. Al's such a tremendous man, uh, a great man, um, excellent administrator, um, excellent ball coach you know he had such great experience as a coach but he was a a great a great man in terms Mm -hmm. of just the the kind of person he was very warm i knew his family very well i knew uh uh, his son-in-law was ray henning um who was a outstanding coach and i know ray's wife is marcia who is the son of of al and so we miss al uh um, he, he just fit so many – when we brought him at the University of Nebraska, he fit so many of the the, the – just the areas of, of, uh, of that program that needed special attention. He was, like I said, an excellent administrator, but he was a good man. He's a guy that you could just go in and sit down and talk with. And uh, his interpretation of rules and compliance, he's an honest man. So we'll, we'll miss out. Very, very much. Coach, thanks for your, your time on not just day by day. Thanks for your reflection on Al Papik, and thanks for kind of laying out some, some thoughts here on this new era of college football. We'll do this again. Always love having you on. You bet, Shemini. Anytime, buddy. God bless you. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity, and I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you, for less than $20, can get everything we produce, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's Hale Varsity. Dot com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. 
The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. Back into it. Hour two. It's Hale Varsity Weekend presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Radek, Elijah Herbal. Find and follow us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio. Chris Schmidt. That's me, Elijah Herbal, on Twitter at Herbal Essence. Mark Cranach someday. Cranach, will that add Mark Skurs return? Can we keep pressuring you? Nope. Not happening. <laughs> no, you are done no. with Twitter. Done. Uh, we'll we'll keep we'll keep we'll keep full courting this. We welcome in managing editor with HaleVarsity.com and magazine author with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Brandon Vogel with us at Brandon L Vogel on Twitter. Vogue's a pretty uh, eventful weekend on the recruiting calendar for Nebraska with a couple of. Bama prospects in a new offer, JUCO wise, and pretty soon summer workouts will get going. Nebraska baseball is kind of do or die right now, and uh, a a massive raccoon was caught in the stands at Arkansas between uh, Vandy and the Hogs. Did you ever have any dealings with oversized raccoons in your time? I didn't. Um, you know, I can't. Uh... The Panhandle of Nebraska is not a heavily wooded area. Um, <laughs> if you, you, that's how you know uh, there's a house over there because somebody's planted a, a, a windbreak. Um, so dealings with raccoons were pretty far and few between for me. Would you have uh, done what the, the Arkansas fan did, and that's pick up Rocky? I mean, those things are a little vicious, I hear. One of the one of my rules for life, Chris, is uh, if the question is, would you have done what the Arkansas fan did? The, uh, I need to be able to answer now. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Crane. Schmitty, you dropped out on us for a second there. You might have to. You might have to repeat. Am I, let me reconnect here. All right. All right. All right. We'll reconnect. All right, hey Brandon. Um, real quick, want to start off with volleyball. What? Okay, Kiana Leakana. You understand maybe why she wants to transfer, but am I, is it? Am I the only one that finds it just very unsettling that Texas now has Jordan Larson and they're the destination for Kiana Leakana to transfer to? Yeah, that was a that was a surprising one. Um, both to well, certainly to me, and also uh, Jacob Jacob Padilla, who covers volleyball for us full time, also expressed a little bit of surprise. You know, given that she's from Hawaii, uh, a lot of connections on the West Coast. I think we all kind of assumed she was uh, headed that direction, and uh, it, it's fine. You know, she she was a very good player. Nebraska would have loved to to keep her um, in the fold, but you can understand a player wanting to, uh, I guess, search for the best opportunity for them. It stings probably the most if you're a Nebraska volleyball fan if that, uh, if that opportunity ends up being Texas. So uh, we'll see. I, I was kind of resigned to, like, well, she'll be, she'll be great at BYU or in the Pac-12. 
but no, Texas and, and Nebraska and Texas, while not sharing a conference, certainly have a recent history of meeting up with each other somehow. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio Weekend Edition. Vogue's a, a pretty important weekend uh, with recruiting. What's your feel right now? Do you think Nebraska is in good position with Kane Williams, in good position with Stefan Wynn? Uh, what's your, your gut tell you about the Georgia Tech uh, possibility looming out there for Wynn and uh, you know, with all that being said, you, did you find the offer of Taylor Lewis also interesting? Kind of ballpark this defensive line setup for us. Well, it's it's clear that they're they're still looking for for help there, which which makes sense. You know, I've liked the additions they've been able to make through the the transfer portal now, uh, or to this point. You're, you're still going to need another another one or two. Potentially, so, and at this point, you know, it's going to get, it's going to, I think it's going to get fairly lean in terms of players that are that are available. So that makes win, you know, a pretty important prospect. Georgia Tech's out there. I mean, the fact that Georgia Tech is one of those, and it may not be the first program you'd think of for for an Alabama transfer. Uh, you know, kind of in a similar spot to Nebraska, and that I think Georgia Tech needs to show some real progress really quickly. Um, that indicates to me that there's there's some link there. Maybe it's just regional. You know, being in the Atlanta area, that that has Georgia Tech in the running. So, Nebraska gets a chance to to kind of take its best shot here and. Hopefully, you can add a little bit of depth that way. So, you know, I don't have a specific lean with really either of those Alabama transfers, one way or another. Um, the, the JUCO offer, pretty interesting. Um, he's a guy who, like I said, I think the transfer portal, believe it or not, is going to slow down at least a little bit compared to what it's been. But you have this other route, which is the junior college route for a player who's basically going to become eligible presumably in June and could enroll right away. So I think Nebraska is doing what it can. Um, the biggest thing here is they're, they're still looking for reinforcements on that defensive front. Yeah, and I mean, how mission critical do you think it is that they shore that, they shore that up for Nebraska to have success this year? I don't know if it's mission critical to have success. You'd feel a lot, I would feel a lot better um, just about the, the odds of that defensive line being good enough for them to get where they need to go with another body. If, if they don't land somebody, you're really looking at you've got to stay healthy. And not only that, but you're going to need some of these players, whether they were on the roster at Nebraska previously, um, or or a new addition to be <laughs> at, near the ceiling of what they can be in 2022. So you give yourself a little bit more gray area, a little bit more wiggle room to work with, with another addition or two. But I think either way, it's going to be you know, one of the biggest wait-and-see spots on that Nebraska roster going into this fall. Vogue's... Uh... Big Ten meetings start Monday and Tuesday for the spring. Rosemont, Illinois, 
and a lot on the table. What do you predict schedule-wise with the Big Ten? Are they going to look at doing away with divisions a la ACC? Uh, I know the SEC is talking about once things shift and Texas and Oklahoma join, they will take up residence in the West with potentially Missouri also making a move to the West, and then you'd stick Bama and Auburn in the East whether and possibly go to a nine-game schedule. That might be part of their lucrative TV deal. Big Ten is close to probably announcing their TV setup as well, where there's just rivers of money going to 14 different Big Ten locations. But is a smart play here to, to do away with divisions so you can set up your Big Ten championship game with a presumed playoff expansion so that way your your Big Ten champ is, is going to get in. But how many times did a, did a Wisconsin or a Penn State or an Iowa miss out? I mean, you look at the second-place team. In some instances, you had a better shot, Vogues, of, all right, if you were the, the runner-up in the East, you had more clout to a, to a playoff argument than you did the West representative in the Big Ten title game. He didn't have much of a playoff argument. Yeah, I, I think the Big Ten, I mean, this is kind of post, you know, that round of conference expansion that brought Nebraska into the Big Ten and then added records in Maryland. I think we've seen the Big Ten be willing to be pretty slow with this. So, you know, I, I know all the talk is, is, is about kind of pod scheduling or doing away with divisions. It looks like the, the rule change that makes that possible uh, is – pretty close to reality. So I think that's where the game is headed for these power conferences. I would expect the Big Ten to be – I don't expect the Big Ten to be the first to, to make that jump. Let's, let's put it that way. And really, until the playoff expands, and, and I do think it will eventually, it's just a question of how much, um, I don't know that, that, that the pod part of it gives you that big of an advantage um, but once you get to, say, well, even eight, probably, preferably in my mind, 12 teams, giving, giving as many of your teams a chance to be in the running for that is in a conference's best interest. And I think pods help you do that a little bit better than the traditional division setup. You know, and, and who knows? We've never seen a 12-team playoff at the FBS level. So maybe it, maybe it would be different in practice. It's just hard for me to think of, say, the third best team in almost any division uh, getting serious playoff buzz. With Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, conventional wisdom says that the Big Ten will expand too, or does it? Do you think that happens? And if so, who's on the radar and when? It's tough because there's no... Uh, there's there's not a ton of easy options out there in my mind. I mean, anytime we talk Big Ten expansion, we're, of course, obligated to mention Notre Dame and also obligated to mention <laughs> Notre Dame for its entire history has been happy to uh, get these, be courted in such a way, and then say, no, we're good. And, and why wouldn't you? I mean, we be. <laughs> for the past 30, 40 years of college football, we've moved to the Bowl Alliance and the Bowl Championship Series. Like, Notre Dame just kind of gets its own rule to be included. 
And, you know, historically it's earned that. But I would be very loath to give that up if I were Notre Dame as well. So if they're off the table uh, still, you know, I think Cincinnati, and, and again, you know, we don't want to make too much of the last four or five years for Cincinnati, but that would have been a pretty good Big Ten fit. I think when, in, in 2014 when Rutgers and Maryland were coming in, you know, there was some talk that, Maybe maybe the Big Ten wanted to get four teams at that point, and I think Virginia and Georgia Tech were in discussions then. Which, if you look at it, I think culturally, I think those schools are both a really good fit for the Big Ten. And I also think those would still be good additions today. Um, Virginia, not so much. You got you got Maryland, so Virginia maybe doesn't add what it would have at that point. But getting a team in Atlanta would be a very very big deal for the Big Ten. And if you're at the, at this point where there's no kind of easy options, there's no, well, these are the first three schools we call, and it's, it's obvious to everyone, um, looking at sort of strategic additions that may not move the needle a ton, which, frankly, Rutgers and Maryland work, um, is, is almost where the Big Ten has to go. What's your take on potential, potential remnants of the Big 12? Who would you take as your top two picks out of the Big 12? I mean, consider everything, not just recency or history. Is it a Kansas or a Baylor, perhaps, that that maybe move it for you? Do you look at a TCU and a KU, get the Dallas metro region? And, I mean, Kansas City's already kind of on the table with you know Nebraska's history down there. Uh, not current history, but, you know, overall history. Who do you like out of the Big 12, Bogues, if those are the options versus a Virginia and a, and a Georgia Tech? Yeah, um, I think Kansas would, Kansas definitely would be in the top two for me, for, for basketball alone. Um, but also, you know, it's it's kind of a natural extension of kind of the Big Ten, Big Ten's current footprint. Um, so that, that one would be in um, for me. Next best is probably Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State's an interesting one. And like, you know, and I don't mean this to disparage the program at all. Like, but, but what does it gain you? Like, being in the state of Oklahoma, like being in the state of Texas, would be much more strategic in in my mind, and probably what the football coaches and probably the basketball coaches would prefer is like, give us a touch point in there given that the Big 12, the SEC, um, both both have touchdowns there. So I could see Baylor's, pro- in terms of football and basketball performance of late, is, is certainly the top pick probably, but given you know, what, what, some of what was in Baylor's past, I could see the Big 12 or the Big 10 getting a little bit scared off by that. So maybe TCU is is the pick. Um, they've been a pretty steady group. It'll be interesting to see that football program now without Gary Patterson, but getting to that Dallas-Fort Worth area has some value. So forced pick, I, I, right now I'd probably go KU-TCU. You know, imagine Oki. Can you imagine Oki State's reps showing up at the Big Ten meetings? I mean, think think of think of John Daly going to a country club, and I know he's played there, but for a formal dinner. <laughs> that's that's my mind's eye right now is mullet, sleeveless, and uh, flip flops with a suit. 
Well, you know what's funny? Think about it if if it was TCU or Baylor and Georgia Tech, even from like a baseball standpoint and some of the, you know, maybe not, not necessarily just football and basketball. Those are kind of obvious on where those programs rank. But traditionally, you're talking about some really good baseball schools. That, that would really change the dynamic. And speaking of which the hell's going on with the baseball program right now brandon (laughs) yeah i mean i think last weekend was probably actually the threshold for me but last night certainly didn't help where you know two three weeks ago i was i was in a spot where i was like well figure out a way to get to omaha maybe you can you know win a couple games there and at least kind of end this on a somewhat positive note. Um, now I'm at a point where I'm just kind of like, yeah, maybe this is just kind of one of those seasons that needs to be done. And you need to kind of like take what you can from it, but not a whole lot. This is the classic burn the game tape, uh, but for an entire season, I guess. Uh, they don't, pitching's been relatively okay in, in my my view, but they haven't been able to hit consistently. Uh, the, the kind of the defense, you know, strong defense was was really a hallmark of of the Erstad era for sure. And then you know, kind of carried over to last year. That hasn't been good enough. Um, so it's it's just a tough one to think about starting preseason in the top twenty five and and how this thing could potentially end. But it's it's not looking like a season where. At least from my view, I'm sure it'd be different in, inside the program. You're going to be able to take a whole lot from it, other than like, let's just move on from that. Brandon Vogel is with us. HailVarsity.com and magazine at Brandon L Vogel on Twitter. Last side Vogues, and uh, we'll get your take with uh, the the legs on this. Coach Barnett didn't think it was going to go over very well from a disadvantage standpoint, but Gary Barta throwing out the idea with the athletic of imposing a one-year sit rule within the conference if you transfer. That way, administration can have control again during this NIL era that's been out of control. (laughs) Gutsy take could it ever work or do you want it to work do you like the way things are right now with with freedom of movement for kids i i have a hard time seeing uh them being able to put that genie back in the bottle i mean the fact that you refer to it as a gutsy take and i agree with you uh you know two years ago that was just the way college football had always operated there was nothing gutsy about it it's just the way that it was and i think culturally you know taking away so so we've got these kind of two pillars of nil in terms of i'm talking like increased athlete empowerment nil Mm -hmm. which the schools really have no control over and immediate eligibility for transfers which the ncaa and thus the schools did have control over i don't think you can take the piece the only piece the only move you have to make I don't think you can do that solely to slow down NIL, at least not yet, because we see people who are, you know, kind of frustrated with this new era 
but it's so early, and, and I don't think we know a whole lot about actually the long-term effects of this and how it's really going to work until we get a couple more years into it. So I don't see them, the NCAA going back to a sit-out transfer rule anytime in the near future. Mm. You know, Bugs, you've been Brandon, busy with the – go ahead, Cranach, sorry. No, I was just going to say, Brandon, you know, and there's, there's always been the talk um, – but with recent developments like NIL and the super conference expansion and all that about, you know, division one teams breaking off from the NCAA altogether. Do you think that thing has real steam and real is, is a real possibility or is that just kind of people complaining about the current structure and just is what it is? No, I, I think that one does have some steam because, you know, we've, we've been hearing about that for quite a while and that existed prior to, you know, NIL transfer area era we're in now. I mean, I think just financially you look at it and, and it, you know, six years ago you could say like, well, what do Alabama and Georgia State really have in common? And the answer is next to nothing other than they both play football. Um so NIL has only added to that. And if it is, if there truly is no way to, and I don't know that there is for the NCAA to actually regulate this and not avoid a, a massive antitrust suit, which they haven't been doing great with of late, um, is, it's for, you know, you'd almost have to create an entirely new governing body for, for college football itself and establish that those kind of rules from the beginning, and I think you're probably looking at something almost close to a salary cap, but for for NIL, um, and I don't know if that's even feasible, how that would work, but it, the NCAA, in my mind, is not going to touch actually trying to regulate NIL. So it's a question four or five years down the road, maybe longer, of do the schools want to want some regulation there? Or are they willing to just let it be wide open and then it operates kind of how college football always has, where a handful of schools have a pretty significant advantage over everyone else. But I could still see them the, the dividing basically into power five or a 50, 50 power program type of league. Vogues, what are you working on here for the yearbook this weekend? Uh, more more opponent previews. Got the got the Big Ten West done and moving to non conference and knock those out this weekend and then uh on to the East Division. So um nothing uh nothing big big picture at the moment, just a little bit of nuts and bolts, but I, I like doing those previews and uh I, I put a, put quite a bit into them. So we'll uh it's, it's good to revisit teams at, at this stage, get a, get a good sense, I think, of what's about to happen, or at least what we think about is about to happen. Have you finished Ozark yet? I have. And? <laughs> uh, it was fine. I, I haven't actively liked that show for a while. Like, I, I still watched it all, but it was kind of, it felt a little out of obligation for me. Uh, the ending itself, I guess, it, well, maybe I shouldn't spoil it for anything. I, I have a hard time with the show where we have this people who, who did a bunch of horrible things and there were kind of no consequences. 
Uh, and I didn't like that that particular group of anti-hero enough, the way I have some others, like maybe Walter White and maybe Tony Soprano, to to let that slide. So that's my my brief review of Ozark. Good take. No, it was kind of a, you know, uh, should have gone a different way. And ending wise, uh, totally agree with you there. Well, maybe you can uh, come up with a a fitting movie end. <laughs> For Ozark yeah, the movie. I'll, I'll so. get to work on my Ozark fan fiction. There we go. Vogues, take care. Thanks for the time, bud. All right. Thanks, Jeff. There he is. Brandon Vogel with his HailVarsity.com and Magazine Managing Editor. And at Brandon L. Vogel on, on uh, Twitter. Cranach, did you get into Ozark at all? No, I haven't. I haven't done that one yet. All right. Well, it's something I, for you to feel better about your life <laughs> okay <laughs> by, by not know. being the characters you know yeah no i've heard i've heard I, I think it's yeah i'll probably get around to it all good the iron horse gary sharp on deck hail varsity weekend continues presented by the nebraska lottery like what you hear high quality radio and podcast just part of what we do at hail varsity hey it's chris schmidt with hail varsity radio and i wanted to offer listeners of the hail varsity radio show podcast ten dollars off the price of an annual subscription that means that you for less than twenty dollars can get everything we produce 10 issues of our monthly magazine our annual football yearbook and all the premium content we produce at hailvarsity.com just go to hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. You're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Weekend edition rolls forward. Hail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. We welcome in the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp with us here on uh, the weekend edition. Sharpie, good to spend time with you. Thanks for uh, jumping in. How are you? Hey, good. As always, guys, glad to be with you. Well, it's a, it's a gorgeous uh, spring morning, uh, graduation weekend. Uh, it is uh, picturesque in the capital city. I'm sure it's that way up in Omaha as well. And we've been kind of starting off with the, the, the weekend that is. Yes, it's graduation, but it's also a recruiting weekend. A couple of Alabama talents on campus getting the, the, the you know showcase here. Sharpie, what, what's your take here? What's your feel on on this race for win? What's the Magic Eight Ball say? Uh, you know, your your plan or your you know how you recruit him is pretty simple. Is Nebraska needs bodies on the defensive line? They they you know they know a role for him, whether it be you know in a four three or three four, uh, probably more of a four three. Is we got a spot for you, but I. I and, 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 you know, because of an area where Nebraska needs uh, an influx of, of depth, that gets a lot of attention. But I will tell you, I'm very intrigued by Kane Williams because as he shows up on campus, and he's the other Alabama uh, prospect that's here, as you guys have talked about, 
Uh, Nebraska has 16 defensive backs that are on scholarship. Why do they feel the need to add a 17th? Uh, is that because they see him as a guy that is better than what they have, or there's some guys that are not where they thought they would be? I think it's a very intriguing weekend, but I think the priority, I, I know people are saying win, and you know what uh, junior college offer went out to a defensive tackle who, who all of a sudden is blowing up. But keep an eye on Kane Williams. I, I think Nebraska might be looking at him as maybe a priority as well. So maybe you have a 1A and 1B. When I think a lot of people are just like, ah, Kane Williams is a fill-in guy. I don't think Nebraska, and he's not looking at that like that. Is, is he a return guy, too? I, I haven't looked into him enough. Is that maybe part of it? Because you're right. Um, they're, they're stocked at defensive back for the most part. I don't know that for a, a fact, Mark. I, mean, uh, I know he played special teams. Um, but I think you know he, he was being recruited by Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph. So there's got to be some special teams in there, which, as we all know, you can't have enough of those guys in a place like Nebraska that just hasn't had many of those guys. Sharpie, of, of the kids that are on campus right now on the defensive line that were high school recruits, we, we've seen a few snaps from, from the polar bear. But other than that, you have Marquise Black, you have Roquan Buckley, Feast, Mosai Newsom, and then Jalen Weaver. What, what's your takeaway from spring uh, with, with guys be, uh, aside from, from, from Nash? Like, who's, who's next of that group that maybe has had some decent progress, or is that the question? If you're going Juco, if you're going Portal, uh, are these guys just too young, or have they not had enough development? Uh, who's the next up there if that that's what Nebraska ends up being stuck with? Well, and, and then you, you didn't mention him, but I know why, um, because he – He's not arriving. He's not part of the original guys in Drew. But, you know, Feast is somebody that's going to play. Um, mm-hmm. Keep an eye on Buckley. I think Buckley is still very young. I wonder, as I go back and I look at spring on the defensive line, and I think some of the guys you brought up, I don't know they're ever going to play here because I don't know that they can get lined up correctly. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the bodies, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about, okay, Nebraska's got to start to look more on the line of scrimmage like Big Ten teams. There's also there's part of me that looks at the defensive line and wonders if some of these guys, some of the younger guys in that group, they're too big. You know, they're too stiff. Um, are they just going to be cloggers, or are they going to be able to get to the quarterback or push the line of scrimmage? So it's kind of a it's a weird transition right now on that position group from what Tuioti wanted, well, what Dawson wanted, what Tuioti wanted, and now back to what Dawson wants. But I would be concerned about some of the younger guys they got an opportunity in the spring and never flashed. I mean, that's a, you're in that room, and you know, yeah, we need depth. But, boy, look at the kind of depth they're going after. They're not going after one-and-done guys. They're going after guys that could be here for a while. What does that say about us? I mean, it's, it's just going to be one of those great unknowns until Nebraska takes the field in the fall of who's going to step up. Um, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed in Newsom. I thought he would be moving up a little bit quicker. He's actually a guy. That I'm, I was surprised is still here. But, you know, there's a sense of urgency, and Nebraska's not sitting back on their, their heels going, okay, we're just going gonna, gonna to develop guys. No, they're going to try and get guys that are already developed or are further along than some of the guys they already have in that room. Gary, you're, you're talking to something that I think is pretty important here, and that's, you know, kind of like they talk about it in management circles and all that, like in the real world, but it's like role clarity, right? Yeah. And it just feels like you have – feels like you have some 
some players, I think Newsom is case in point, where, you know, he's probably naturally a defensive end type in a 4-3, yet you're trying to make him an interior guy, and it's not really happening. I mean, is that is that part of the issue, too? It's where, you know, you, you can't really decide if you want the big run stuffers like a Nash or like a, or like a Damian Daniels, or if you want to go athletic like the Davis twins, who, by the way, are both on the Steelers roster right now. Um, but didn't do a whole lot in the first year of Chin Anders defense. I mean, they just really got to pick a style and stick with it and recruit to it. Absolutely. And you could say that about some of the other position groups. I I think where you have new position coaches, you can see they have an identity and they've already started to recruit to that identity. I think, you know, the defense, and, and we've talked about it, uh, for a couple of months now, because quietly, Nebraska's kind of morphed into a 4-3. Uh, you know, we, we had such an uproar about the 3-4 and recruiting to the 3-4, and can you play that in the Big Ten, and look at the guys on campus, and can you adjust? But kind of subtly, Eric Chidander's defense has played a lot more even front than we've seen, and he hasn't come out and said, hey, this is what we're doing. It's just been kind of organically. And I think he's also taken a look at what works what best in the Big Ten. So it's kind of it's a weird transition of where guys fit if you're going to go 4-3 when they were maybe recruited to 3-4 and you've been coaching them up to play interior, and now do you go, man, are they on the outside? I think Stephen or Stefan Wynn, however you pronounce his first name, that's here, he's the kind of guy that, that fits that, okay, is in a 4-3, is he an interior guy or in a 3-4? Is he athletic enough that he can play in the Big Ten and play in space and jump outside? You know, those are the kind of dynamics that I think everybody's weighing. But I, I think we need, all need to keep a close look on how much, how much more Nebraska looks like a 4-3 defense up front and how they recruit to that and then, of course, how they play with that. You know, the million-dollar question, Sharpie, is can you, can you get a guy that is athletic enough that's a that's a four three defensive end, and can you move him to one of the interior spots, a la the the nineties D? You go outside in, right? You you move a safety up to a linebacker. You move a, an outside linebacker to a D end. You move a D end into play defensive tackle, and if you can hold up in the run, your skill set and athleticism cause a lot of problems against guards and. In the interior, because you're more athletic and you're tougher, you're, you're tough enough physically to hang against the run. That's a lot easier said than done, though. In uh, in today's Big Ten, finding that guy that can get to the quarterback, but can he hang on first and second, and even maybe a third and short in the Big Ten on the line of scrimmage every Saturday? Yeah, and, and there's also, you know, we always want guys that can can cover in space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nebraska's kind of been all in on the hybrid position that Jojo Doman really took to another level. But there's also the part of the Big Ten with outside guys, outside linebackers as well, is can they cover a tight end? You know, we're seeing the evolution of the game of football where the tight end's importance is bigger and bigger, and especially in the Big Ten. There's really, really good tight ends that almost run like wide receivers. They're just too big to be a wide receiver outside, but they line up in the slot and they line up all over the field. Do you have outside guys that can also, if pressed, can they cover a, a tight end? Those guys don't, you know, they're, they're not growing on trees around here. So you either have to go find them and win recruiting battles, 
or you develop them. And that's the tricky thing when you're in Nebraska because Randy Gregory every year isn't willing to do that game. Yeah. Gary Sharp with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Let's uh, flip over to baseball real quick. And Ooh. look, you, you, you got to be in the top eight to make it to the um, Big Ten tournament, which is being held in Omaha this year. Nebraska currently sitting uh, tied for essentially what? I guess you'd call it 10th, um, ninth or 10th. But they're mathematically still alive. Ahead of them, Purdue and Northwestern, uh, and you basically need Purdue to come back to the pack because they have a pretty substantial lead uh, winning percentage-wise right now at 8-9. and nine. Purdue and Northwestern are playing each other this weekend. Nebraska's tied with Northwestern in the standings. There, <laughs> there, there would have to be a perfect storm for Nebraska to to advance here and especially when you look at Northwestern after the Purdue series they're you know they're, they're playing Minnesota who's bottom of the barrel in the Big 10. So all that said is there a chance? I mean I know there's a chance. But have you already written this one off as though no, too much has to happen and Nebraska is not going to make it to Omaha for the Big 10 tournament. Yeah, I I, I don't have any faith that Nebraska will make it to Omaha and so you'll have a Big 10 tournament that it was brought to Omaha because Nebraska was here, and Nebraska brought fans, and in a down year in the Big Ten, is there anybody going to be at Charles Schwab Field? That's very scary. Here's the thing about Nebraska, and I brought this up on my show yesterday with uh, another player that's dismissed due to discipline issues or violation of team rules, is you get through this season, and it's been a grind, and it has gone nowhere near close to what Will Bolt thought or any of the players thought. I mean, you, you, you kind of took for granted they replaced some of that leadership on and off the field from last year, and Nebraska just hasn't been able to do it. Is I know this might sound sacrilegious to some, but there is a point in competition where you go, gosh, I just want the season to be over. I mean, give me two more weeks, then we can move on and we can fix what we got to do instead of, hey, let's scramble to make it to Omaha and go two in the queue. It's of all the struggles this year for the big threes, big three men's sports, not making an 18 tournament in this conference in baseball, what I, I think would be the bottom of the bottom. And it's, it's disappointing. And last night, it's just a familiar theme. Everything starts to look the same. And I think Nebraska baseball would will. They just want to get through the season because uh, you would wake up and go, huh, nine junior college players in this class, huh? He's not messing around for next year. I think he's going to fix on and off the field what has ailed me, ailed them this year. But I don't make it to Omaha, and that's going to be a major disappointment for Nebraska, but also for the Big Ten that would like to have people in the stands when they put the games on TV. Gary Sharp is with us here on the Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And, and Gary, while we're talking baseball, have you ever caught a raccoon with your bare hands at a baseball game? <laughs> I have not, like the guy at Arkansas last night, but I guarantee. That is not the first time that that guy with his bare hands has caught a record. Guaranteed. <laughs> My question is, is it on the smoker this morning? Oh, I don't I mean, you could say it tastes like chicken. I'm letting that thing go. But no, I know. I know. Mean, I'm hey, saying. Hey, kudos to the to, kudos to the raccoon. I mean, it, it didn't have any fear. You got a ballpark in, in Fayetteville. It's got 10,000 people in it. And the raccoon's just wandering around. I mean, he doesn't try and run away and try and find a hiding spot. He's like hanging out with the fans. Who's dropped some food here? Um, but what, what would you? What was the? Did you look? You know, looking at the video, 
the reaction of the people that are around the guy as he grabs the raccoon and holds it in the air. I mean, it's like the Lion King. It's like he's holding up Simba. <laughs> that raccoon down there knows uh, good food when when he visits the ballpark. He knew what he was doing, Sharpie. He's, yeah, he's... Sh- Sh- Schmitty, I believe that in the state of Arkansas, raccoons are catch and release. Well, uh. I- I'm sure the thing is... <laughs> The thing is, is that raccoon probably just wanted to see a good baseball game, and now he's all over social media getting carried out of the place. Like, he got an interview this morning. Right. Yeah, I mean. Hey, if, if Arkansas makes it to Omaha and they win a championship, I guarantee they will have T-shirts, they will have something, they will have a raccoon in the dugout, the rally raccoon. Yeah, stuffed or live is the question, right? <laughs> <laughs> just wandering around. Sharpie, what's uh, what's shaking with you this weekend? Uh, what's uh, what's on the docket? What's keeping you busy? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's graduation. I uh, I got a I got a little high school graduation that I have to attend, and all of those parties. It's uh, it's uh, weird that it's the middle of May. We've made it to this part, but you know what, guys? It we are in a good spot in college football because we are closer to the start of the season than we were to the end of the season. But we are going to be in a summer that I think will be a game changer for college athletics. I think there's a lot of stuff down the pipe that will start during this summer that will change our college athletic model, especially on the football side, for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, you know, coming up in less than a month, June 5th is when the presidents and chancellors meet in the Big Ten. I think that's when they'll sign off on the contract for TV. I think that's when they'll find out what they're going to do with the divisions. And also keep in mind, here over the next couple of weeks, as Nebraska gets ready to come back and begin summer conditioning to get ready for the trip to Ireland, they will have a name-image likeness meeting with all of the returning players. The freshmen aren't required to show up until, I believe, the first Monday in June. And then also this month is a big gathering of some of the top donors and, I guess, boosters of Nebraska athletics, uh, spearheaded by the athletic director, and he'll sit down and they will talk about name, image, likeness, what you can and can't do, and what it looks like moving forward. I, I think buckle up. I think we're in for a very interesting summer uh, in, in the college athletic model, but in particular college football and the Big Ten on what it looks like as soon as next year moving forward, scheduling and divisions. Sharpie, quick last thought. Malachi Coleman uh, making his announcement uh, as far as an official visit to Lincoln early June. He's also going to go check out Michigan. Uh, where's this race at? Is it even? Do you see a lead for one school or another, or do you have any idea? Well, I think Nebraska's still in a good spot. I think they have to identify where they want him. I think there's a possibility to put weight on him and have him as a rush-in, which you know people are looking at him as a wide receiver. I'd like him on the defensive side of the ball, but I think Nebraska has to identify what they want out of him, and then I think Nebraska has to recruit him as a priority, not as just, hey, you're a in-state kid at 70th and A, why don't you stay home? He's a great kid on the, on the, off the field. He's got a, high, a huge ceiling on the field. But it's going to give you a sense because I think Nebraska's got some momentum recruiting, but they haven't been able to close deals because people are wondering, who am I committing to? They're waiting. If they get a good commitment out of Malachi Coleman before the season is over, I think that shows you where the current health of the program is. But he's a priority, and Nebraska needs to treat him as a priority instead of, hey, you're an in-state kid. They need to recruit him as hard as they would recruit a five-star in Texas as somebody that is in-state. But I like Nebraska's spot still, but they can't get lax. They've got Oklahoma, which he's got an official visit scheduled. Michigan, as you mentioned, he'll probably hit up Oregon as well. But that June 3rd visit to Nebraska, they need to continue to roll out the red carpet and maybe learn something 
in the process when they lost a guy like Dylan Riola, and if they said, man, we could have done this, they can't have that feeling when Malachi Coleman walks off their campus for a guy that's already been there numerous times. Sharpie, be good. Enjoy the uh, the weekend's uh, graduation parties. We'll talk soon. Thanks again. Hey, thanks, guys. Take care. Gary Sharp with us. Cranack, enjoy the weekend, bud. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, you as well, sir. All right. All right. Mr. Uh, Herbal, enjoy calling balls and strikes. We'll be back at you Monday at 4 with Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. A Huda Media Production.